Well, good morning, Browncroft. Good to be here today. My name is Aaron, or uh, <laughs> thanks, Pamela, or A.A. Ron, as the kids on the block call me. That's a, a student ministry reference. Uh, I am the student director for the 6th through 12th graders, so um, I like to say that I get to work with maybe the coolest, most energetic, most on-fire generation there is at the church. So sorry for those of you who aren't me. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I wanted to start this message off today actually in a way that I, I'm like kicking myself because I saved, I didn't even save it. I'd use the best material I had right at the beginning of the sermon. So on the screen, we're going to see a picture of my daughter, Adeline Mae McGinnis. She's one year and one month-ish. Uh, you may have remembered me bringing her onto the stage. I guess some people thought I was going to drop her. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but I, I took this picture two days ago. I'm like, I need a picture. And I said, Addie, I need you to smile. So I took another picture. And she did this. I'm like, okay, I, I need you to get, sit back up, get center. And I took another picture. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to do one more. And then this was the last one. And she just took the camera straight from me. <laughs> So she is, she's amazing. <laughs> but even as a father now, uh, raising my daughter, Addie Mae, I know for a fact that the world that I grew up in and the world that she's growing up in is very different. <laughs> the world looks way different. And actually, as I look out uh, in our congregation right now, I even see a ton of generations. And I think that's actually one of the most beautiful things about the church, this place where multiple generations come together and value each other. I'm going to do a quick little generation exercise, we'll say. I need you to shake out your hands and get ready to raise them. There, I, I like you who are actually shaking them back there. There we go. I need you to raise your hands if you ever owned a typewriter. Typewriter, tons of, not right, you look at this. That is so many typewriters, guys. <laughs> How about this? Raise your hand if you have an active TikTok account. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. Two right here. I see you. <laughs> oh, nice. Cheryl McGee's like, I'm a mom and I have a TikTok account. There we go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Raise your hand if you ever owned or played way too much PlayStation 2. PlayStation. Oh, that was the quickest hand I've ever seen out there. That was great. <laughs> nice. Uh, I didn't throw. How about this one? A Kodak Brownie camera. Anyone? Yes. Nice. <laughs> Nancy McGaw's got a Kodak brownie. All right. And then maybe the last one. Raise your hand if you have used chat GPT. A whole row right here. And raise your hand high if you've used chat GPT to do homework. But <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, oh, no, I'm caught. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Amazing. Wonderful. Well, that was a fun little exercise. I'm glad you participated in that. Uh, I wanted to say this, that the church is a place for all generations. And I, as the student director, 6th through 12th graders, want to say to our students that this is a place for, for you, for students. But honestly, if I'm being honest, from what I've heard, gathered, from what I've learned, even, seen... Sometimes I'm not so sure if students always believe that this is a place for them. That the church is a place for them. Back in the, I think it was in 
I can't even forget, March, I believe, the family ministry team and I got to fly down to Atlanta, Georgia and go to a family ministry conference. We got to hear from great speakers and learn about new strategies, new approaches, and what God's doing in family ministries across the United States. And we got to hear from one person named Kara Powell. Um, She's a leading voice in this area. Um, She's from the Fuller Institute. And she gave a speech and talked about how the primary, the central message, the central question, rather, that teenagers are asking has shifted from what we've been operating with in the past. In the past, the central question teenagers were asking, uh, according to this, was, are you cool To, to adults? Are you cool? Are you someone that gets me? Are you someone that uh, knows my world, right? Are you cool was the question. Um, But from their research, they have seen a huge shift that now, recently, the the central question that teenagers are asking and teens, uh, maybe you'd agree with this, is can I trust you? Can I trust you? A group called Springtide Research did a, a poll. They polled a ton of 13-year-olds through 25-year-olds. So young adults are included in this as well. And they asked them, who do you trust? What institutions do you trust? And this is what we got. Um, we see on a scale of 1 to 10, the highest was nonprofit organizations clocking in at a whopping 5.3. And it just goes down from there. Uh, organized religion, we got a 4.8. Okay. And I see that we have beat the politicians. So that's, um, yeah. The, the, I like, yes. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but one thing you can get from this too is that this generation, Generation Z coming up, they don't have a whole lot of trust in general. And I I believe that every generation kind of has trust issues in a sense. And even in my era, uh, millennials, I felt like we grew with some trust. And broadly speaking, we had the trust broken. We learned new things. We saw people fall. That trust was broken. But Generation Z is a little bit different in the fact that their generation was raised in an era where they never had a foundation of trust to begin with. Whether it be artificial intelligence and having no idea who's actually real or what was written by a real person or made by a real person, or even filters with Snapchat and all these, what does someone actually look like? What do I actually look like? or fake news, who's given this information and is it correct? They're, they're living and have lived in an era where it's hard to trust anything, truthfully. And so when you live in an era like that, it feels like the only person you can truly trust is yourself. Now, uh, that, sounds, that might sound good to some, but when we look at the Bible and we look at God's design for the church, this is a big problem. Why? Because we need each other. Students out there, young adults, we need our adults. We need young and old. We need their wisdom. We need their experience. And adults, we need our teens and our young people. We need their zeal, their passion, their attitudes, their perspective. We need them. And in order for the church to look like the church that Jesus wants it to be, for us to show his love, we need all of us together. 
And that's why I believe that building trust is crucial. And I believe strongly that in order to break this cycle of mistrust, adults, myself included, we need to trust a generation that does not yet trust us. We need to trust a generation that does not yet trust us. So what does this look like? What does it look like, adults, to uh, trust young people, to trust teenagers? Um, <laughs> what does it look like, teenagers, for you guys to trust adults and to uh, be alongside them and value that? Well, thankfully, God is super good, and he gives us some great examples, especially found in his word. Um, we are going to be looking at the story of Paul and Timothy today. Um, we'll make our way to 1 Timothy. But I just wanted to give you guys this disclaimer. Sometimes when we talk about the Bible, our minds can go to kind of this ethereal, theoretical world of ideas and just beliefs, right? But know that what we're about to read, the context given, is very real. It's like on the ground, things that actually happened. Imagine real people working this out in their actual lives. Um, in Acts 16, we come across a, a young lad, we'll say, named Timothy. And Timothy uh, is a, a teenager, and he has been brought up in the faith by his mom and his grandmother. So grandparents out there, <laughs> know that your impact is real. And Paul, who, uh, you know, rode to Damascus, saw Jesus, said, I'm going to live for him, and going, he goes out and does amazing ministry. In fact, most of the New Testament is written by Paul the Apostle. He comes across this family, and he sees this teenager, Timothy, and he doesn't just say, hey, Timothy, glad you trust Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. See you around. You know? <laughs> or he doesn't even say, hey, Timothy, um, I hope that you have a great space for you somewhere in one of the halls of the church. No, what does he say? He says, Timothy, I want you to come with me and to do ministry with me. Students, like imagine this. I, I said this. Imagine Pastor Rob comes up to you and asks you, hey, I'm about to do a house call. I'm about to go pray for someone. I want you to come with me. And I want you to participate in the actual real work that I'm doing, bringing the love of Jesus to others. This is what Paul is saying. It's, it's a very uh, radical way of looking at the world. And to give you a little bit more context, um, Paul, one of the main places, one of the primary places that he started, a church started the ministry, was in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus, you might know the book of Ephesians, right? So those are the people. And Ephesus, you can just imagine with me, it's this booming town. It's a, not even a town, a booming city, huge buildings. There's a coliseum. There's a, a giant amphitheater. An amphitheater so big, we're talking way back in the day, right? So big, it fit 20,000 people. 20,000 people, and it was said that many people would gather regularly just to shout, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, so heavily steeped in that type of worship. So this place was, was happening. It was like a metropolitan, you might even say it was bussin' uh, for some of you out there. <laughs> Uh, and it was not a boring place. There was no beige flags here um, in Ephesus. Got someone. 
and in this place of Ephesus, Paul walks into, sees all this pagan worship, sees all this uh, culture. He rents out, literally rents out a schoolroom um, and starts preaching the gospel. Starts preaching the gospel. And one by one, people start hearing the message of Jesus and are compelled and start following him. They even say, like there was this one time where all these magicians took all their magic books and threw them in the fire and had a big party uh, (laughs) because they're now following Jesus. And this church ended up being a, a uh, a main church in the growth of Christianity. So Ephesus, Paul's kind of baby, right? It's his church. He learns later on that this church is going through some trouble. And very specific trouble. I mean, he gets super specific. He, he writes in First Timothy that there's a guy named Alexander and another guy named uh, Hynaneus. And they're older members of the church. And they've taken to the platform and started teaching false things like, Hey guys, if you eat meat, then God hates you. <laughs> this is what it says. Or, or one of them would get up and say, hey, if you are married or thinking about marriage, just know that Jesus disapproves of marriage. So Paul is getting this. He, he also was told that the women in the church, the wealthy women, were treating Sunday as a fashion show type thing. And then getting up and using their influence to also teach false doctrine. And so he's getting these messages. He's like, oh my goodness, my church, Ephesus, my child. He's like, uh, we, something needs to happen. He, it, they need to be corrected in love because it's causing all sorts of division. So what does he do? Paul, this is his place, right? Does he strap on his boots and start trudging down towards Ephesus, getting in the boat? No. What does he do? He actually trusts the young Timothy that he had been investing in, who's grown a little bit now, who's probably my age, I'm 29, um, probably around there. He trusts Timothy to go in and to put a stop to this and to correct the entire church. Literally people he called out by name to have conversations and to do real, real ministry. And that's where we come into this very common verse. You've probably heard it. It's like the classic youth ministry verse, right? And it's this. It's 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul says this. Timothy, please don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, Timothy, you're walking into a place where people will devalue you because of your age. People will will pull the age card and tell you that what you have to say is not valuable. But Timothy, this is what Paul is saying, I'm going to view you like Jesus would. And your value does not come from your age. Your value comes because you were created in my image and I live inside of you. That's where your value is. So adults, I want you to, uh, as best as possible, truly reflect and try to ask and answer this question. And it's this, ready? Do I look down on this young generation? Do I look down on Gen Z when I hear that term? Are my thoughts negative? What is welled up inside of me? Do I look down on them? Do we, myself included, do I look down on this generation? And then one step further, do I trust 
this generation? Do I trust young people? Do I trust teenagers? Do we trust them? A couple, I mean, four Wednesdays ago, we have our student programming on Wednesdays. I asked the teenagers there, I said, hey, if you had one moment, a thing to say to the whole congregation, if you could get up on stage and say something, what would you say? And uh, they wrote some stuff down on some index cards. And some of you students are out there, you're like, oh, I probably should have taken that more seriously. <laughs> but what they had to say was very interesting um, to me. And actually, I think, reveals that this idea of looking down on this generation, they're feeling it. Um, one student said this, and honestly, she wrote and then crossed some stuff out and then was like, no, I want this, but what she had to say was really good. So this is from the, the mouth of a, a student, and this is what they would want to say to you, adults. Although us teens may act a little strange or make some mistakes or be confusing at some times, we are still people who are trying to figure life out Although it may be hard to see sometimes, us teens do care deeply for others and for God. See me, value me, please. I'm a human. <laughs> I'm not a human becoming. I'm a human being. See me and value me. I actually asked a, a one, a, someone who recently graduated from our student program the same question. What would you do if you, what would you say if you could say something? I'm going to open this up. She wrote me back this. If you could talk to this congregation, what would you say from a student perspective? And she said, first she said, sorry, Aaron, I apologize for how long this message took for me to send to you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. But here it is. If I could say one thing to parents and adults in our congregation from the perspective of students, I would ask that they give me the opportunity to be an adult, invite me into spaces where I need to make real choices and handle the consequences in an environment that is safe with you by my side. Where if something gets bad enough, you could bail me out. Invite me into places where I can try out adulthood, try out discipleship, try out ministry, and learn to be a disciple of Jesus before I graduate so I can be confident in my faith when I'm on my own. Guys, what I hear there is kind of a plea. And, and we need to, and this is myself included, we need to stop treating teenagers as the church of tomorrow. Why? Because teenagers are not the church of tomorrow. Teenagers are the church of today. They are the church of today. I wanted to give a brief, uh, brief, you know, take a step back and talk about my experience. So I was a teenager at one point. I was a young adult. Um, I might still be included, 18 to 20. I think I'm still there. Uh, and I just want to give you my experience. And I, I didn't go here, but I grew up in America going to, uh, to church. And this was my experience. Um, that most of my, and this is talking about the church, most of my spiritual formation, and even being spiritually invested in, happened sitting and watching a guy on a stage. 
which isn't, isn't necessarily bad, but that's what most of my spiritual formation was, sitting and watching someone on a stage. And I think inherently I was taught, and no one said this, but I was taught that in order to grow in my faith, I needed to maybe even uh, attend uh, things that were bigger and louder, and the louder the music, the bigger the event, the more I was supposed to grow closer to God. And the more I engaged in those, the closer I was becoming to Jesus. But I think in that pursuit, I fell in a little bit into this thing that Rob actually mentioned. For those of you who uh, used to raise your hand first when you were in school and answer all the questions, I'm sure there's many of you out there. Um, You might remember what Rob talked about two weeks ago, and it was this kind of funny term called therapeutic moralistic deism. And for me, I get it. When I would go to church, it was kind of a form of therapy. It made me feel good. It was where I primarily practiced my devotion to God. It was, it was therapeutic. It was moralistic. I, if you knew me in high school, you, that word would just ring so true. I was obsessed with moral behavior and moral good. And I looked down, I judged people who I thought weren't doing moral behavior. So I, I thought being a really good Christian was following the rules, right? And deism, knowing that it's connected to God. God has a part in this, but maybe not a personal part of my everyday life. God is the person I experience on Sunday when I uh, come to a place and get filled up is how I viewed it. But as a teen, and honestly as a young adult, especially through college, I never felt connected to the mission of Jesus or to a church uh, called to go out and make disciples, to bring blessing, to bring healing, to bring goodness, to spread his love to all those around me. I didn't really experience that. I didn't feel connected to that. And in my young adult, uh, when I was a young adult, I bopped around to seven or eight different churches. So maybe there's some young adults in this room who have done that little hop, boom, went to that church, this church, this church, that church. I did that. I lived that. But why was I doing that? Why was Aaron McGinnis bopping around from church, 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 church? Because I was looking for an experience that would satisfy me. I was thinking about this guy. And I was looking for someone who had the best program, the best music, the best this, the best that to satisfy me. And I still remember someone, a friend came up to me and he's like, ah, Love Sunday. I love the worship service. I love Sunday service. I'm like, oh yeah, it's pretty good. He's like, it's like such a great time because we get to go and serve God. We get to worship and serve him on Sunday. And like in my young adult brain, like this does not connect for me. What are you talking about? Sunday is where I go to be filled up. Sunday is where I get You know, Sunday is where I am edified. Me, it's me being built up. And he was like, what? No, that's where I bring my praise. That's where I bring everything, bring my worship. And I praise and honor God in that time. That's why I love Sunday. And I'm like, that did not compute. And it didn't compute until 
post-graduation, I did a kind of a gap year program, we'll say, called the Fellows Program. Did the Fellows Program. Um, And this is what it was. It was 17 young adults, recently graduated, went to this church. We were hosted by a family in the church. So imagine if 17 of you adults decided, yes, me, for a year, I'm going to invite a young adult into my house for the entire year. I'm going to be, they're going to be a part of our Thanksgiving dinners. I'm going to show them what it looks like to raise a family in a Christian household. I'm not going to get paid a cent for this, but I'm so passionate in investing in young people that I want them in my house. (laughs) I did that for a year. I tutored um, every week on Thursdays. I was a student leader in our youth group every week on Sundays it was. I was part of the worship team. And one of the things that blows my mind, <laughs> and I didn't realize it, it was uh, weird, was that I was invited to th- over 30 houses of adults. I was in the houses of 30 or more adults in our congregation as a young person. They invited me in. And I found out that this church knew how to value and trust young people. They knew how to do it. They would see a table of young adults, of students, and they would walk towards that table because they saw value in that group. So I went from, broadly speaking, I went from being in the audience, just an audience member of church, to a participant. I started participating in the work of the church. And I'm not talking just moving chairs. You know, sometimes we're like, teenagers, you guys move the chairs. <laughs> you know? Like, that's what we'll trust you with. That's the farthest we'll go. But I'm talking about inviting, mentoring, and coaching them into the real work of God. And there's this idea out there. I think one of the strengths of this church, I, I really do, is that we are, we are multi-generational. I've seen it. From young to the oldest, I was, I was in the babies, uh, uh, yeah, w- with all them working with the babies. What do you call A nursery. There, there's someone out there. Nursery. I was in the nursery at Easter, one service, 12 babies. And they were doing a great job. They, were, they, they knew what they were doing, you know. <laughs> um, but I'm like, wow, it is incredible to be a part of a church where there's that many young kids, right? Um, there's... This church is multi-generational, and I love it. But what I think we can continue growing, and I think we're doing, we're already doing some of the work. I want us to be intergenerational. Not just there's different generations in different pockets learning different things that's appropriate for the ages, but I want to be a church where if I look, I can see young and old working together in the work of God, where those boundaries start getting blurred and you see adults, teens, and young people working together doing the real work of God. And if I can be super honest for a second, specifically about our church, my experience was that when I had a kid, when I finally had a child, Many more people talked to me. Many more people talked to me when I had a kid. And I actually love, I think that this church is so good at valuing children and young families. I think we're one of the best there is. And I want us to continue to grow in being a church that values and invests in in teenagers and even into that young adult community. 
we got to see them and treat them and, and, and invite them just the same. So, where do we go from here? How do we do this, right? How do we, how do we become an intergenerational church that invests in young people, that students, young adults that you feel invested in, that you feel like you're an actual real part of this church? How do we become that? And how do we invest in you guys as the church of today and not just wait for your work in the future, thinking of you as the church of tomorrow? Actually, this, I think it says up there, the partnership for the next generation. I, actually, I like that term, but if we're not careful, we can think next generation as eventually they'll get to the time where they're going to do meaningful work for Jesus. And I'm here to say they're doing it now. <laughs> so how do we do it? Um, for those of you who are familiar with weightlifting, and I like to say, I would love to say that I'm super familiar with it now. I'm not. It's been like two years. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's this idea of reps, right? Maybe you're trying to get to a goal. Maybe you're bench pressing or something, and you want to get to this weight. Um, but in order to get there, you have to lower the weight, and you've got to do a lot of reps. And this idea is that you've got to do something that's, that maybe you might even fail, and maybe you even need someone there catching the bar in case it falls back on you. But you need to do the reps in order to grow into someone who can actually carry that full weight. And this is my challenge, is that we as a congregation, as a church staff even, need to give young people reps. We need to invite them into real spaces to do good work. And I'll also say this, I think we're already taking steps and have done a, a good job in some senses. For example, some of you students in here, first service, you were in the kids' ministry teaching others about Jesus. You are doing real work. Um, you'll see more and more teens are doing some great work, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and I'll even say this. Myself being up here on the stage at 29, being able to proclaim and tell people that I love Jesus and that he is worth trusting with all your heart, that is only possible because other people in positions of trust trusted me. And gave me opportunities to do ministry. And I'll tell you this, when I was doing this sermon run-through, all the leaders of this church were sitting there and they didn't tell me to scrap everything. Or They, they said, we love what you have to say. Keep going. That is investment. They gave me a spot. They trusted me with real ministry. That's what happens if you are given reps. So... Um, as we get to the end here, I wanted to just challenge you guys. I'll challenge everyone. I'm challenging everyone. <laughs> first, I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I want you guys to think. The first one's to adults, adults and even myself. So adults out there, these are my questions. When was the last time you invited a young person into your home? Do I view Gen Z and their unique perspectives as a burden or as a blessing? Do I view young people as human becomings or human beings? Am I confident? Oh, yes, there we go. That was my ones for adults. I almost skipped straight to the students. Students, 6 through 12, and young adults even, if you, if you will. These are my questions for you guys. Am I willing to trust that an adult truly wants what's best for me? 
Am I confident that I was made in the image of God and have something valuable to contribute? Am I trusting in Jesus so that I can say yes when an opportunity comes my way? And last one, students. Just like it says in Timothy 4.12, are you setting an example for the believers? Are you setting an example? You can do it. You don't have to be old to set an example of, of Christ's love for us. Parents, keep going. I'll keep firing away. Parents, <laughs> what is one step, think about this, what is one step I can take to include my kids in real meaningful work and even real meaningful ministry? Do I trust that Jesus can work powerfully through my kids? Do I trust that he can and is? And am I encouraging an intergenerational family faith where spiritual responsibilities are sometimes given to my kids? Leadership here at Browncroft um, if you're a leader, if you lead a ministry, if you're part of anything like that, this is my question for you. Am I inviting young voices to have a seat at the table? Am I inviting young voices to have a seat at the table? This is a question for myself, too. I'm like, I could, I could definitely do better here. Are we encouraging an intergenerational church? And then very simply, do we trust young people? Do we trust them? I, I think this idea of trusting the church of today, Generation Z, the young people in our congregation, I would argue that it's not just an issue of the will, of being like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to trust them. I would argue that it is a faith issue. The real question is, do we trust God? Do we trust that God is doing work in the young people in our generation? And it's and I'll say this, it's because I trust God that I trust our teens. I trust that he is doing real work in them, that, that he is doing beautiful things through them, and that's why I trust them. And just to nail it on the head, the best example I think we have of someone investing in, trusting someone, uh, is God himself, who, creator of the universe, almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing, everything, he decided to partner with humans. <laughs> he decided to partner with us to do his work on this earth. He knew what it, was, what it meant to invest in others, to invest in people who weren't ready to do the ministry yet, but to watch them and be alongside them as they grew. And he loved us so much and he cared so much to do this with us that he came in the flesh and lived the life we never could. And he chose teenagers and young adults to be his disciples. They were the ones following him around. Students, you guys, your age group, following Jesus around, young adults, doing real meaningful work. That's the love of Jesus, and we can em emulate him today. I actually, there's another, some encouraging things. I got more notes. 
One was from a leader who, at the same time I asked students what, he would, what they would say, this leader said, um, said this, the next generation is growing and embracing and experiencing God, Jesus, and the Spirit more than we think. More than we think. That is someone who values and wants to invest in the next generation. And I'll just, uh, uh, yeah, pick on Dave and Janet Fleth. I don't know if any of you know them. Uh, they're uh, some in our congregation. They actually have a special connection to my family, and they, they actually opened their home to my mom when there was a rough family situation happening. And they wrote me a happy birthday card six days ago. And they had no idea I was going to read this out loud. But they said this. Thank you for leading our teens to a deeper walk with Jesus. Christian teens will change the world. That right there. We have people, and we, we have people who love Jesus, and because they love Jesus, they love and can see the image of God in our young people. And I ask that we become a church that is increasingly more and more intergenerational, investing into the lives of our young people. Not just when we're here on Sunday or when we do a program or when we have a serve day or whatever it may be, but in our lives, unprompted, in the hallways, in conversations, in texts. That's what I would love to see. I'm actually going to have senior, graduating senior high schoolers. I need you guys to stand up. There might just be a number of you. Um, go ahead and stand at this time. Don't be shy. Yes, there you go, Durox. I see you. <laughs> You're like, anyone else? I mean, <laughs> there you go. Like, oh. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, stay standing, and I'm actually going to have all students. Any student who's in here, 6th through 12th grade, can I have you stand as well? Six to, yes. Yeah, that corner is <laughs> nice. I love how close to the front you guys are sitting. Thank you, thank you. I see you. Number the back, Bakers. I see you. I'm going to actually invite Rob on up because we're going to pray for you guys because we know that you are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today. And if, even if you don't believe it, <laughs> trust in Jesus and he will show you the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. So I'll have Rob uh, pray for us. Let us pray. God and Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be standing here with my brother. Thank you for all those who invested in him, gave him the reps to serve and to grow. <clears throat> thank you for this powerful message. I pray we would all take it to heart this morning, even as we see uh, these students standing before us in this hour, the last hour. We pray, Lord, that we would take seriously this message to know, Lord, that these students, not just the seniors, but all of them are the church of today. And I pray for them right now. First for the seniors, those who will be um, leaving um, you know, their, their home probably in the next few months to go to college, many of them, or to the next thing, Lord, which will be uh, a whole new chapter in their lives. I pray that they would know the love of Jesus deep in their hearts. I pray that they would have the support of their, not only their parents, but their, their friends, their mentors, their church, and that they would know, Lord, that with you, they can do so much uh, more. The greater is, is he that is in them in the person of the Spirit of God than he that is in the world. And I just pray that they would know that and that, Lord, we as a church, we would take very seriously 
Lord, this challenge to support these students, to love these students, both while they're in this um, room, while they're in this um, in, in the church buildings, and Lord, while they're not out there in the world being a real influence. We just pray for your blessing. And last, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would take very seriously these words. Uh, that Aaron gave us this morning, that we would, Lord, um, really change our behaviors where we need to. We would answer these questions honestly and where we need to change them, where we need to invite students, see them differently and engage with them differently. Lord, that we would do that, that we might become, Lord, an even greater church, an intergenerational church that is serving together um, your purposes in this world, uh, in this moment where we are living. We love you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give these guys another hand. This guy, too.